Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Nothing is real is powered by Acast. Hello and welcome to Nothing is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on a hard drive from Dublin and Belfast. When you look back at the Beatles' productive 1960s, certain years tend to get codified in a certain way. 1964, they take over America. 1969, they fall apart, but they leave us with Abbey Road. When you look a little closer in detail at certain bubbles of time, it can get more interesting. On a previous episode, we looked at the January 1970 session. Today, we're going back to the first few weeks of 1968, The macro view, the big view of 1968, is that they start to fragment in the process of delivering the White Album and on all things Apple-related. But the weeks at the start of 1968, before they head off to Rishikesh on the 15th of February, it paints a different picture, and that's the little area we're going to look at today. It it doesn't really, that start of 1968 doesn't really tell you what 1968 is going to be, does it, Stephen? No, it seems, for my money, it sits apart from uh, the rest of the year. Uh, they're coming off sort of extreme highs and lows in 1967 with Pepper, with All You Need Is Love, with the death of Brian Epstein. Um, the beginning of, of, of 68, they're, they're very much involved with the Maharishi and meditation. They're planning their trip to uh, to India. And th- they seem to me, this is probably the last point at which they're all on the same page. Yeah, uh, they they're all very focused. They've all completely bought in to to one degree or another into transcendental meditation. Um, they see this as the way forward, and that's their focus. Yeah, and so let's look at the state of affairs right at the end of '67, because again, this this macro view of '67 was that you know they delivered the greatest album of all time, and then they have this tragedy, and then whereas most people would take Christmas off, uh, they're dealing with magical mystery tours. So. The last week of 67 is all magical mystery tour business. The, the, the film, the TV film gets shown on the BBC on the 26th of uh, December, uh, Boxing Day as it's called in England. And it's pilloried. It's the first time that they're having to deal with a bit of fallout from that. And Paul is the person who takes the fall. Yes. I mean, it's interesting to me. I mean, there's no denying that this was Paul's project, but it's interesting to me that he he feels so badly stung by the criticism that the next day he's he's on the television proffering an explanation and a justification um and the other three are just well in the background and letting <laughs> paul take take the fallout for that um but but clearly they were very badly stung paul in particular um yeah. he goes on the david frost show and what's interesting is obviously you know, at six o'clock on Boxing Day evening, Paul's getting ready for the show to go out on the television. He's not preparing to go on David Frost the next night. So it's obviously a no. very quick same day decision. And Frost brings him on the TV live that evening on, on the 27th. And he introduces him, which I think is quite interesting, as the man most responsible for Magical Mystery Tour, that it's saying this wasn't a Beatles film. This was a Paul thing uh, that that's flagged from day one. It's a Paul thing. Yes, um, that that is interesting. And I, I, I wonder, is that... Paul still 100% believing in this project and uh, feeling, well, it's just misunderstood. It is a great piece of work. Um, he's certainly the one that consistently has defended it over the years. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at anthology, the others are a little bit kind of critical and Ringo saying, oh, there's some good bits in it. And George kind of rolling his eyes a little bit. But Paul is the one consistently defending that. Um, 
And I suppose if you think about it, with, with Epstein's death in August, they convened pretty quickly after that to start recording uh, the, the remainder of the, the songs from Magical Mystery Tour. That's the point at which Paul is is stepping up into that, maybe not quite managerial role, but he's certainly cheerleading for this particular project. And fair, fair play to him. I mean, he, he, he takes ownership of it. It is interesting that Magical Mystery Tour becomes very much a, a UK type thing. It, it doesn't get shown in the US. They're, they're, they have the uh, the record. So the other thing that's happening right at the end of 67 is that Hello Goodbye is number one in the UK. So 67 turns into 68. It gets to number one in America, if memory serves, just right at the start of 68. And the Magical yep. Mystery Tour album is at number one uh, in the, at the start of 1968 in the US. So in some ways, you, you know, people are still just fans of the Beatles. They're not studying the psychodrama at the time. They're just, they're still putting out great records. And this, if, if you're trying to say, well, what was the view from the top of Beetle Mountain on the 1st of January, 1968? There was no reason to think that despite all the problems they've had, it wouldn't be business as usual. No, I mean, to that extent, you know, possibly there, there's too much focus on the critical failure of Magical Mystery Tour. You would imagine that sort of teenage Beatles fans or fans in their 20s or whatever will we'll have quite enjoyed Magical Mystery Tour. It's the mainstream media, to coin mm. a phrase, uh, that um, that don't like it. It's the mums and dads. And, uh, you know, they've got number one album. They've got number one single. On, on the face of it, they're still absolutely uh, uh, sort of predominant in in the charts. Um, this is just a blip. And uh, it, the fact that it was the first time the media turned against them or the mainstream press yeah. and critics turned against them. That's perhaps more accurate than sort of saying, oh, it was universally reviled. It was a terrible. And as you say, it didn't it didn't get shown in America mm. uh, because of the press reaction in the UK. Um, so the, the American fan base weren't affected in the same in yeah. the same way. This is the point at which I think they start pulling away from that cross-generational appeal. I know this is something I kind of keep harping on about in, <laughs> in terms of Pepper being the peak of that, but, um, you know, this is the point at which the mums, the dads, suddenly, I think, think, I am the walrus. Uh, that's just a little bit mm. too weird. And they, they, so they start moving away. And at the same time, we again, we've touched on this before, you have a whole new generation of fans coming up. Uh, that are buying albums by the monkeys. This is not appealing to 10 and 11 year olds anymore. So they're very much um, narrowing their fan base from that. But it's like, uh, it's like that quote from the queen, the Beatles have gotten awfully funny, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I think this is, this is, this is a natural sort of career progression. Yeah, Um, but uh, well, uh, do you know what? We kind of think it's a national natural career progression these days. I think the thing about that whole, magical mystery tour thing is that you know we wouldn't think twice now about a, a band putting out an hour's worth of vanity videos you know we wouldn't no, make an eye on no. it so part of the problem with magical mystery tour is that people just didn't know well, what is this thing what are we supposed to how are we yes, supposed how- to imbibe it and, 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 and how is it supposed to entertain us well i suppose that's true there's no there's no template for this there's, yeah. there's, there's, no, there's no roadmap and uh you know supposedly the bbc purchased it sight on scene yeah uh, you, and you the know, bbc did it, champion it they were happy to have it on the schedules and it got the highest viewers that night in british telly yes yeah um so by by every sort of metric except the reviews in the press yeah um it, it seems to have done quite well yeah and, you know <laughs> here, here, we're 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 still talking about it 50 years here we on, go. yeah um, and we could even do a whole show on magical mystery tour but we get to the january the 1st 1968 and We've no sense of that the Beatles really have anything specific planned in terms of, you know, musically. The, we don't know of a whole lot of songs that are knocking around at this time. You know, the, the main goal is it's January the 1st. They're eventually deciding to go to Rishikesh in the middle of February. And there's a couple of things that need to be attended to in those couple of weeks. And I, I often feel that these weeks at the start of 68, there's still a sense of uh, you know, they're they're a fab four. There's still some fun stuff going on. They're still enjoying each other's company. I saw somebody on Twitter recently uh, talk about, you know, that scene at the end of um, Magical Mystery Tour where they're walking down the steps and how, yes. you know, it's kind of like they're saying goodbye to that fun era of Beatles. But there's still a little bit of a hangover of that at the start of 68 where they're, you know, they're still that four-headed monster. 
I think so. And 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 the the thing to remember is it it was well known. I mean, it was publicly well known that they were heading off to India. Yeah. It was well known and had been very well publicized, not least by the Maharishi himself. Yeah. That the Beatles were on board. The Beatles were sort of his disciples. Um, John and George had been on the David Frost show. Uh, the Maharishi had sort of parlayed the connection with the Beatles onto a couple of fairly disastrous, it has to be said, appearances on the Johnny Carson show mm. in, in America. So it, it was known that the Beatles had fallen under the spell of this sort of mystic um that they had announced that they were heading off there yeah. was the publicity surrounding the fact of epstein's death while they were in wales in bangor at, the, at, at that retreat so it was you know it wasn't a secret that they had uh, uh this was the focus I and that this, is, yeah. that this is what they were doing they, they publicly announced back in in uh august that they'd given up drugs you know yeah. uh so they were still acting, as you say, that four-headed beast. They were all together. They were all doing the same thing. So let's look at January 68, and maybe we might break it down by Beatle, because the the most productive or, you know, progressive Beatle at the time was George, probably, in January 68. He goes off to India before he goes off to India. He, he has his own trip on his own. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he, he's making this trip uh, to record... Uh, music for the soundtrack of of Wonderwall, mm. and uh, the interesting thing about this this entire period from from sort of late sixty seven through into to the middle of of sixty eight is is that uh, from sixty seven to sixty eight is that George is sort of setting the agenda. He has stepped up, and because of the Indian music, because of the Indian philosophy, he suddenly is if not in a, a sort of a lead role. He's certainly setting the the course, um, and he is undoubtedly the one who is most committed to the yeah. music and to the to the philosophy and to the, the the meditation and religious aspect of it. So he he's off flying off to to Bombay to do these initial recordings, and he flies there on January the seventh, and he's recording between January the ninth and thirteenth, and he's yeah. there's actually film footage of this uh, these some of these sessions. There is, and uh, you know, by all accounts, it, it, it's a pretty rudimentary studio. That there's traffic noise outside; they have to sort of accommodate that. Um, he's recording Indian musicians. He's not sort of participating, except really as a, I, I wouldn't even say producer, possibly director, a musical director yeah. of what's what's going on. Um, and uh, he's not, as far as I know, playing anything on these these. Yeah tracks and he's and, and one of these backing tracks we'll come back to later because one of them turns out to be the inner light the inner light the inner yeah. light gets recorded in uh, in bombay so george spends the, the guts of a week in india um doing his recording sessions the other beatles uh right at the start of 68 john is still living in kenwood he's still married to cynthia and oddly enough his dad freddie is in the picture around this time isn't he Yes, so he he sort of reconnected with his father. Um, uh, there, there are some a couple of meetings. His father, by this stage, is is going out with a much younger uh, woman, mm. um, and uh, at one point they actually move into Kenwood uh, in, in a sort of I don't know housekeeping sort of role. It, it's a very odd. You know, there's at least a podcast or two podcasts <laughs> to be done about. Lennon's relationship with his his yeah. father during during that period, and um, uh, you know his father seems a slightly hapless character. You know he just can't help messing things up. Yeah. Uh, in his relationship with Lennon, uh, I think we were talking before we started recording about the magical mystery tour party where his father turns up, gets up on stage to do a turn, yeah. falls f- falls flat on his face, drunk. So it, it it's 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 not an easy relationship, even yeah. though at one at one point he's actually living in John's house. Yeah, and so he, he does pop up in John's life between correct me if I'm wrong, about sixty five to seventy, and eventually the end of seventy, he post primal yeah. scream, he tells him to get out of his life yeah. once and for all. Very uh, politely put, yeah. He, yes, he he he, he <laughs> <laughs> threatens to kill him. Anyway, yeah. um peace and love. Anyway, so uh the other thing that's kind of bubbling around in the background in January sixty eight is um, Apple is kind of coalescing. There's a couple of little bits of Apple business. And the big formal launch for Apple comes later in May, post mm. Rishikesh. And that's, you know, one of the big hang-ups of 1968. At the start of 68, 
it, it, it's, it, it's existing on paper and it's being yeah. kind of put together. So there's a, there's a couple of things. So I think, isn't it Apple Films that starts in January? Yep, there was a there, there was a, a company Beetle Films and it changed its, its name to uh, Apple Films. Yeah, and uh, I think Apple Limited becomes Apple Core Limited. So see I, see the they, I see what they did there. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm guessing that's one of Paul's puns. <laughs> um, and they move it's into a, it's a good pun. It's a good pun. I like it. It I is like a good it. pun. As a kid, I didn't realize the P was silent, so I was you know Apple Corpse. Yes, yeah, so I was like, oh, it's Apple Corpse. Um, so yeah, Apple Films gets uh, coalesced. Although Apple Films is listed at the end of Magical Mystery Tour, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, they also move into the first Apple offices on the 22nd of January at 95 Wigmore Street. Yes. And you do kind of wonder how much the Beatles, I, I know they knew this was going on, but it's not like they were lifting boxes into Wigmore Street, you know? This is all <laughs> kind of happening in their name. Yes. I mean, I think I think at this stage, it's it's very much... The lawyers and the accountants, and mm. this is this is a tax uh, uh, issue and a tax saving exercise. And it, it's it's I certainly couldn't say at this stage. I, I'm not aware at this stage that this is the, the plan or the roadmap for what Apple will be or what Apple will become is all laid out. Yeah, this is they're just setting up the groundwork. They're sort of getting the legal structure in place. You can never have too many lawyers. I tell you, they make the world go round, lawyers. Um, yeah. On the and then there's, there's there's in terms of trying to find group activity uh, on the 17th of January, John Ringo and Paul um, they're at the launch of a group called Grapefruit. Yes. What do we know about Grapefruit? Grapefruit. Um, uh, they were signed. One, one, one of the Apple companies was Apple Publishing, and I think I'm right in saying that Grapefruit uh, were were the first uh, sort of people signed up to Apple Publishing. Yeah. It, it, I'm I'm not clear why. Perhaps simply because the infrastructure uh, wasn't wasn't there. The thing I've read um, is that they didn't get signed to an Apple label because there wasn't an Apple label. There wasn't they were just yeah. too early. Yeah, they were just too early. Um, so so it's a publishing deal they have with Apple. Yeah. Um, they they. Uh, signed to RCA records and there's a launch for the group and uh, uh, John, Paul and Ringo are there. George is still in, in, in India. Um, they, they're not, I think a successful group, you know, they don't go on to great things. They were named. I, I can't recall what they used to be called, but the name grapefruit came from oh, yeah, uh, Yoko. Yoko's yeah. book. So John uh, renamed them uh, Grapefruit. That's interesting uh, that that's January 68, before John mm. and Yoko or John and Yoko. It's probably the first bit of Yoko influence into the Beatles world yeah. that we can see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like about five months before they become a couple. Yeah, well, supposedly. Oh, right. Well, there's another podcast in that. <laughs> um, it does make you think, though, like if the Beatles had stuck to just publishing, they could have made a fortune. Absolutely. Like if um, they hadn't bothered with any of the fiddle dee if they hadn't bothered making movies for Harry Nielsen or whatever, if they'd just done publishing, if they'd gotten James Taylor's publishing, yep. they'd be wealthy. The Badfinger publishing, they'd have been, that would have made a lot of money. If they just focused on publishing, they could have um, been high yeah, on the hog. But, but the whole, but the, the, the point... The point wasn't to get high on the hog. The point was to help <laughs> was to help people. Yes, uh, Western, and, communism. Uh, Western communism. Western communism. That, that was the point. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 you, again. Here's another podcast. It's just about the history of <laughs> Apple and all of the the, the sort of acts. Uh, whether it's Mark Boland, David Bowie, Crosby, Stills and Nash, all mm. of those acts that that sort of away. slipped away mm. that they that they didn't that they didn't go with. Yeah. Um, so, so whilst I could sort of mount a pretty strong argument to say that Apple was actually an extremely successful company uh, in terms of records and chart success and number one singles and great albums, uh, critically acclaimed albums, if you actually look at what they didn't do, oh yeah, um, uh, and the opportunities that they 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 missed, uh, it's it's a that's a fascinating kind of alternative universe. Yep. Um, and then towards the end of January 1968, one of my favourite things happens, which is on the 25th of January, they film, uh, the four of them film the Yellow Submarine sequence, the sequence that happens right at the end of the Yellow Submarine cartoon. Yes. yes. And I love this. And I think this is the best example of it's the four of them. They're being the Fab Four. They're being kind of funny and larking around, even though it's scripted to within an inch of its life, apparently. Mm. Um but it doesn't, when you think of the kind of the sort of dour image that 1968 generates, you know, the seriousness of the White Album, this kind of larking around Beatles 
doing their I have a hole in my pocket routine is very entertaining. It's very funny. It's yeah. it's 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 one. It's Ringo's uh, a half a hole. <laughs> it's, it's very it's this very deadpan delivery by Ringo, and then an equally deadpan delivery by Paul. A very kind of arch sort of. It's a very strange delivery. Yeah. Um. And and it's the fact that he sort of says, you know, what's the matter, John Love? Yeah. And it's it's such a kind of Liverpudlian or kind of working class. Uh, and in the background, you can see if you someone on Twitter did this, where you if you slow that up, you can see George sort yeah. of rolling his eyes at Paul's yep. delivery. So and it, then, it's, but you also see Paul trying not to laugh at John saying, "There's newer and bluer meanies," and, and yes. Paul is literally about to burst out laughing. It's, it's very it's funny. Fair, it, it's very funny. It's very spontaneous. It would be very interesting to know if that was like take twenty seven, but it it certainly yes it it. it you could sort of almost could see they just rocked up, did it, one take, went yes. home. It, it's 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 is hilarious. It'd be lovely to see the rushes of that, and it's nice to see John being silly and glib. You know, I, you kind of miss by the end of '68. You miss silly glib John. It, even the hello goodbye video when he's doing those kind of Elvis moves yes. and he's linking arms with Paul and and dancing around. You know, there's 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 no harm in being silly <laughs> no, no and uh, um, that is something that seems to disappear out of them in 68 and 69 i think that's right i think i think that's absolutely right um george too you, you know george becomes very serious all all through 67 and into 68 and it's it's sort of with the the, the maharishi and the slightly hectoring tone that he adopts sometimes mm. john is off with yoko doing art stuff uh, and yeah, the, the sort of silliness yes. is, is is missing. So it's nice to see that kind of 1968 Beatles doing kind of a hard day's night kind of routine. And if anyone's yeah. paying attention in the sequence, Ringo has a mustache and John has mutton chops. That's the facial hair situation in that. Uh, yeah. If, if, you, if you're trying to track that out. So they do that on the 25th. Apparently that night, uh, John and George go off to a fashion show by Ozzy Clark. And in on two days later, John is... Um, interviewed at his home in Weybridge by Kenny Everett and that gets put out about a week later on the on the BBC um but they are going to India and this date is set in stone and I'm going to guess Paul instigates the fact that hey guys we need to put out a single before we go away and this is the crux of that early 1968 period is that they go into the studio for a couple of days and how that music is kind of set apart from the other music that they make later in in 1968 Yes, uh, it, it sort of sits as a little discreet uh, episode. Um, you, you've got the sort of peak psychedelia of Sgt. Pepper and All You Need Is Love and Magical Mystery Tour, and then you've yep. got the sort of hard rock and the sort of more grown-up, I suppose, uh, White yep. Album, Hey Jude, etc. And this this just sits in the middle. And as I say, people, people, the public knew that they were going to India. Yeah, the idea the idea was it was going to be ten weeks. It was going to be three months. They were going to be out of circulation for a long time. And yeah, the Maharishi, his stated intention was, I'm going to make these guys fully qualified transcendental meditation teachers, and uh, that's you know it's going to take three months to do that. And um, so yeah, you could see Paul, you know, conscious of the PR, conscious of the keeping in front of the public we've, we've got to have product yes to, 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 to sort of tide us over it is odd because they, they disappeared for a couple of months before they disappeared between you know revolver and story yeah. fields they they disappeared you know it's not they had disappeared for three or four months in the past um, yes and, and managed to get away with it but what they've teed up is they tee up um six sessions in abbey road uh, they plan six sessions between the 3rd of February and the 11th of February. So Saturday, the 3rd of February to Sunday, the 11th of February uh, to try and record a single uh, for release while they're away in March. And parallel to the start of this, Ringo is prepping to go on the Scylla Black variety show. Yes. And yes. he's doing a lot of rehearsals for that. He's doing a lot of rehearsals <laughs> for this oh, 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 during this period. So starting on the 1st of February, but across the sessions until the show actually airs, yeah. he is rehearsing. And, what I hadn't realized until I started looking into this, his performance or his appearance on this show is the first solo musical performance by a Beatle. Huh. So individual Beatles have appeared, you know, being interviewed or, uh, you know, you had John appearing on the Peter Cook Dudley Moore mm. show. But this is the first this will be the first musical performance. 
right. uh, by any one of the Beatles on their own. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure, perhaps he was very conscious about this, um, perhaps just in the nature of the fact that, uh, you know, this was a variety show, there were going to be skits, there were going to be musical numbers, yeah. uh, that, that it did require a lot of rehearsal. But uh, it's interesting that he's the first one to go solo. It is interesting. And also, uh, he had, right at the end of 67, he'd gone off for about 10 days to film his first movie on his own. So mm. he'd gone off and shot the, his scenes for the film Candy um, yep. in December 67. Uh, and, and this kind of Silla Black appearance, it's a bit of a nod towards what would come later with Sentimental Journey because he's they're kind of performing standards and also this notion of, you know, getting up in Liverpool in a pub and singing a song. I know he's also in skits and sketches and all the rest, yeah. but the, the music that they sing is very pre-rock and roll. It is. This isn't, this is, he's not going to get up and, and, and sing with a little help from my friends. You know, mm. he's doing old musical pub sing-along yeah. number and, and sort of variety, a variety sketch. So yeah, it's absolutely prefigures Sentimental Journey. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So behind all of this that show is due to go out on the 6th of um February 68, live from uh, the BBC Theatre, which is now the Shepherd's Bush Empire venue in London. And uh, so he's rehearsing from the first up until the sixth to get ready for that. But session one uh, that they they all go into on, uh, and Ringo is present on the 3rd of February, is uh, to try and dig out a new single. And what are the chances? Paul turns up with a single in his pocket called Lady Madonna. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, I mean, really, who could have surprised it? So this is his... Um, submission for uh, for a single and it, it, it's still impressive at how quickly they get the guts of it down yes yes so you, you this is a uh, a move away from that psychedelic uh, phase this is a, this is back to basics rock and roll number you record the basic track Paul on piano Ringo on drums um, it, it's clearly a sort of boogie woogie fats domino uh, you know, Paul, I think, has described it at one point as being his Fats Domino uh, I- I impression. Yeah. Um, and he also comments it, it that it took his voice to a very odd place. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's maybe a step back, half a step back towards those early 60s Little Richard impressions. You know, he's he's it's back to a proper rock and roll voice. Yeah. And at the time of uh, recording this podcast, obviously, it's the most recent thing we've heard from Paul is him singing Lady Madonna in lockdown in uh, uh, for that telephone. Do you want me to do 10 minutes on that? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's obviously a song that's close to his heart. And, you know, he often refers to the fact that, you know, his mum was a nurse and it, it reminds him of motherhood. I know there's other parallel notions that the song might be about a prostitute or... Well, this other is a, of... Yeah, I mean, he, he he's very clear that um, it was based on... And I'm conscious here of Paul is is, you know comes up with good stories and can kind of <laughs> backdate things. But but he's pretty consistently said, no, no, this was, he saw a, a copy of National Geographic. Right. Uh, with, with a woman uh, uh, on the front, a uh, child at her feet. She's kind of holding a, a, a baby to her breast. And that's uh, what sort of sparked the image in his head. Uh, yeah. People have said, uh, done more research than I have. It's a January 1965 um, edition of National Geographic, if anybody has a copy uh, out there. But but yes, there is the, there's this, on the website in particular, All Music, for example, in reviewing this song, they go into some considerable detail about, this is clearly a, a, about a prostitute, that um, that each day is is a new client coming right. along and being described. And it's, it's a kind of blend of 
sexual and religious symbolism uh, that could be interpreted. Uh, and I, th- I think this is this is just the worst. There's a bit of glass of, onioning going on. There. It's there's a bit of glass onioning. If we can uh, introduce it, a new verb to proceedings. Yeah, it's just uh, I, I, I think over analyzing what's there. Yeah. Um, we know that the way Paul, in particular, I think works. He gets a phrase, he sees an image, and it just he just riffs on that. Yeah. The lyrics. He's there is not, a, yeah. There is an interesting demo that's kind of popped up or on YouTube, which is uh, it's supposed to be a monitor feedback session of Paul playing the songs for the others. It's very brief. It's about ninety seconds. Have you heard this? Yes, yes. and I have uh, heard that where he's trying to, and it sounds legitimate. That uh, it's just like you know, monitor recordings are when just there's a tape running in the studio picking up what's happening, and uh, he seems to be just outlining the arrangement to the others and doing yeah. ba-ba-bas and all the rest. Um, it, Lady Madonna, that's a song I love and it's great. And it's, you know, I, I think it's interesting that it's the first song that also gets pulled out for Wings Over America, as in, here we are, here's a Beatles song, everybody. Uh, but... Yes, yes, he's... I mean, it, he's... It, it, I, this, I, does it need to exist? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's an awful lot of progression in Beatles singles and albums. And Lady Madonna is kind of coming out to fill a void it doesn't push things along the way strawberry fields does the way you could argue that hey jude does i don't know does the Beatles story collapse without with lady madonna taken away from it no i don't think so but what what i think it does i mean it's a song i re, it's a song i really like oh, yeah, um, i love it yeah it's clearly it's clearly a song that paul likes as you say he played it in 76 on the wings tour and he pretty much trots it out yeah consistently uh, in in his live show what i would say is it's it's drawing a line, yeah. uh, you know. It's a full stop on the psychedelic. Yes, I th- excesses, and you can see that of all of the four of them, or perhaps excluding Ringo, Paul was probably the one who was least comfortable. Yeah, with the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Strawberry Fields, it's all too much. I am the Walrus. You know, while. While George and John are, are, are putting out that type of material, he's Paul is coming up with these great melodic pop songs like yeah. "Getting Better," uh, even you know your mother should know. He is still mining that. And well, I think it's a- interesting that I think it, it. I think you're right. I think it is kind of the start of this final phase because we kind of yeah. we're sold this notion of oh, you know, they stopped touring and they started using the studio as an instrument and. You know, but we're kind of beyond that now. We're not using the studio as an instrument. We're just getting a song down, like yeah. the best song that you can get. I think so. I mean, I think I think whether they consciously realize it or not, they they've taken that studio uh, exercise, yeah. arguably as far as they could. And if you look at some of the groups that were sort of trailing in their wake and trying to do that studio based, uh, um, uh, big conceptual pieces. Mm. It, it it it's almost a dead end until it sort yeah. of branches off into to sort of prog proper. Um, <laughs> so it's almost that this is Paul saying enough is enough. Yeah, we're 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 put, we're closing the door to that. Anything that comes out after Lady Madonna, which is in the nature of kind of psychedelic or whatever, has been recorded before. Yeah, you know. So George has done his Indian recording in January. Uh, there are songs that. That, that that sort of creep out later but this is i think drawing a full stop so in that sense it's it's not so much that the beatles story stops or the but i think it it sends the the, the beatles story off in that direction which sort of musically inevitably leads then to the white album and yeah. to let it be and but for the rest of the songs they record in this session there's still a bit of a hangover of 67 or psychedelia so Day two of sessions, Sunday the 4th of February, uh, John arrives with his selection for what could be the next single, and that song is Across the Universe. Yes. Uh, and that's what they're recording on that day. And so they, they, they've actually done sort of two quick passes at that the day before, but this right. is but, but Sunday the 4th is the, uh, 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 the main sort of, this is the main focus. And it kind of feels like a bit of a... Uh, you, you know, everyone loves Across the Universe, but there are so many different versions except, of it and mixes except, of it, except John. <laughs> except John and yeah. Ian MacDonald. But it does uh, feel like it never really, it, it never really got nailed down. It does feel like it never got nailed down in the way it should have done. Well, this is, this is, this has always been John's criticism of this, that he, he consistently has said, oh, I didn't get the support. You know, he said this in 1970, he said this in 1980, Paul was sort of 
sabotaging, has a tendency to sabotage my songs. But then he goes on to say, you know, the guitars are out of tune, my singing is out of tune. And you think, well, Paul didn't make you sing <laughs> out of tune. Um, this is still, uh, you know, it's it's still a witch. Not a, it's not a psychedelic song. It's it's got the Jai Guru Deva Om thing. Yeah. It's 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 that Indian vibe. But the arrangement, he clearly doesn't know what to do with it. And this is this is something that um, comes out if you look in Mark Lewison's uh, recording sessions. Uh, book and if you read Ian McDonald's Revolution in the Head and I have to say Ian McDonald hates this song mm. absolutely hates this song you know he didn't know what to do with it um, it starts off it's an acoustic number then it's got Indian uh, uh, instruments added to it then it's got some backwards drums and bass added to it then they all stand around a microphone and they hum a backing track for it um, so they just Lennon doesn't seem to have driven it forward but this so, is the dichotomy isn't it that paul always arrives with the song in his head and then lennon yeah. arrives and you know it's like you know make me sound like a an orange yeah. shaking hands with a squirrel or whatever it is yes Not exactly i mean you know, paul, paul as you said with, with with lady madonna paul has an arrangement he has an idea we, mm. we should we should maybe mention here it's that uh Humphrey Littleton song "Bad Penny Blues," right? That drives from from, from the fifties that that Paul presumably has heard or has come back into his head, and but he comes with the arrangement and he he knows what he wants. Lennon doesn't seem to know uh, what he wants. He's very fond of the uh, the lyric. He again consistently he he subsequently is sort of saying, "Oh, it's one of my best." Lyrics. Uh, it's a lyric that's uh, drawn from an argument with his wife, which isn't uh, the most uh, spiritual thing in the world. I, I was thinking that it's sort of you know if you think if you are Patty Boyd and you've you've inspired something and and Layla and um, uh, you know about how much your husband loves you etc. And this is this is because Cynthia was droning on about something <laughs> in his words and words are flowing out and uh, oh it was such a pain and so for, for for such a sort of lyrical uh song or piece of poetry it's yeah. very very prosaic yeah very uh, mundane origins yeah. so they they kind of knock out a couple of different versions of 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 across the universe um on sunday the 4th of february and then that's kind of they press pause on that uh to tee up for the next session so they take monday off and then on Tuesday, the 6th of February, they go back in and this time it's George's turn to present a song. Uh, and Ringo is gone for the day doing the Scylla Black show because that's going out live in the evening time. Yeah. And they spend most of the day working on The Inner Light, which a lot of the work is done on that already because it's been done in Bombay. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, you know, this is this is none of the Beatles sort of uh, play on this. So this is this is recording the vocal. Yeah. Um, John and Paul only appear right at the very end doing some harmony. So this is really trying to nail uh, George's vocal. Um, uh, and again, uh, the, the, the commentary on this is that George felt he'd left himself. It was too high a key for him, yeah. really. And he felt uncomfortable um, and he had to be sort of encouraged by the other two to do this. This is a song that Paul has consistently said how much he 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 likes. I think it's a great um, song. I think it's, it's the best it's, of George's Indian sitar. I don't want to yeah. call them crossover songs, but you know what I mean. I think it's a I think it's a fantastic song, and it's it's obviously almost completely solo George. But I do love that flash of John and Paul right at the end. It's like they're passengers on this journey, and they're they're behind him literally. Yes, yes. Uh, no, it's 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 one of my favorite. Uh, George George tracks and uh, the other piece of um, top pop fact uh, that I discovered while looking at this is it was a number one hit in Australia. The Inner Light was technically. Uh, Why technically? It was listed on the chart. Uh, Someone who's listening in Australia can tell me what the what the Go Set national singles chart was, but it was listed with Lady Madonna as a double A side. Right. So technically, uh, the Inner Light was a number one single in Australia, which I find very gratifying <laughs> uh, and it got to, it cr- climbed into the bottom reach of the billboard 196 yeah. as well yeah, yeah. Yeah. so um uh well, yeah can we say there were there were there are a couple of there are three officially released okay tell us about those versions so you have the mono uh single version yep. uh, it was it was only released as as mono as the b-side of lady madonna and then uh, a stereo mix 
was created in January 1970. Right. Uh, and Mark Lewison has said this is, you know, was done for some indefinable future use. There may be some suggestion that it was intended for the Hey Jude compilation that was being compiled. Um, right. But the opening section is different slightly. Um, and that stereo mix was released on, as a bonus EP in the Beatles uh, EP collection in, 19, mm. in 1981, and then on CD on Past Masters Volume 2. And then an alternative instrumental take appeared as a bonus track on Harrison's Wonderwall music, which everyone right. will have that. Everyone will have that. Listen, I'm running, I'm running to put my copy of it on now, but it's interesting that that, like, I got to know the Inner Light through Past Masters Volume Two at the end of the '80s. So that's a mix mm. that was done in January 1970. That's interesting. Yep, yep. Um, and what's cute about this session is the Beatles take an hour off to, to watch Ringo on the telly. So they might have gone to either the, the Abbey Road Canteen or to Paul's house to have a a look at uh, Ringo doing his thing with Silla Black. Can we can we just very briefly uh, say that at one point Ringo. Uh, Peter Bruff was a, a, a ventriloquist okay. uh, in England, and his act dated back to the 50s, I think. He was a ventriloquist on the radio. Of course. So, um, <laughs> so, so uh, Ringo and Cilla Black duetted on uh, the song Nellie Dean, yeah. uh, where uh, uh, Cilla was the dummy sitting on Ringo's knee and while he drank a pint of beer. So, <laughs> Right, okay, fair enough. Um, while, while the other three were recording the inner light. It's a nice <laughs> contrast, I think. Uh, and so then they uh, they do a little bit more work on Lady Madonna, and then that's that's that kind of session wrapped up. Yes, this is where this is this is where they, they got uh, Ronnie Scott to yes. come in and play. And he so he turned up with other a couple of other uh, uh, musicians. They they literally uh, just phoned him yeah. and said, Could you come down? This was after uh, Paul and John had sort of done a sort of vocal arrangement imitating a sax side. Ronnie Scott turns up, and there's no there's no music, there's no uh, score for this. Yeah. Um, and I think Ian McDonald talks about this leads to a very exasperated solo from Ronnie Scott, and he describes it as a, a sort of lapse in in professional etiquette on the part of people. <laughs> you just oh yeah, you just come up and just play something. And, and this is it's interesting because this is maybe. The, the the start of that oh we'll just we'll just wing it wing it in you the know, studio you know uh, uh, i mean if you go on to the white album the the guy that played the the fiddle on the ringo star track yeah did a little bit of busking at the end um and suddenly he finds that's on the record right so this is this is where they're saying oh ac- accidental things are fine and little little uh, opportunistic uh yeah uh, recordings and things um so that's interesting. And then they take Wednesday the 7th off and then they're back in for session four on Thursday the 8th. And they're doing more work on Across the Universe that day. And like, was was Across the Universe, do you think, really seriously in consideration for A-Side at that time? Could it have, uh, could it have crossed over? Because it's it, interesting it, that it obviously didn't get there and they never really revisited it either later in the year. Uh, no, it, it's 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 hard it's it's hard to tell or hard to judge because there are so many versions of this song kicking around mm. now, mm. Um, and so many uh, arrangements that you can you can uh, read about in, in particularly in the Lewison book where they're yeah. just trying and retrying and you, you know famously at one point they get two two people in. Um, Two girls from Applescroft's fans yeah, outside, outside to, to 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 come in, and uh, we should name check Lizzie Bravo and Gaylene yes. uh, Peace who who come in. Suddenly, Paul, you know, presumably sticks his head out the studio door and says, "Hey, you, could you come in and sing?" <laughs> now, whether whether that's uh, part of what John felt Paul was trying to sabotage the song, I right. don't know. But it's it's hard to tell whether this. I, I personally, I don't think this would have been a successful single. I mean, in the sense that. You know, it was the Beatles. It would have sold. Yeah, I, I I don't think it stands comparison with Lady Madonna. But it is interesting that it wasn't even pushed for a B side. And you wonder was it not pushed for a B side on the logic that well, the Inner Light was great, which it is, or yeah. was it not pushed for a B side because oh, it's you know we just haven't nailed across the universe yet. We do, uh, we we need to figure it out under pressure, and then they just never get back to it. Um, it's it's uh, odd. 
I, I, I think the latter. I think it's just they, they collectively must have felt, look, we've just not nailed this. Yeah. You know, there is, there, there's history here. There, there's, uh, you know, songs dating from 65 that they, that means a lot. You, you know, yeah. if you think you've got troubles that they, they took a crack at and yeah. didn't feel they got it right. So they just, they just abandon it and, and move on. And um, so you talked there about there's a number of different <clears throat> versions of uh, Across the Universe. And the first one kind of comes into fruition tonight because Spike Milligan is in the studio that night. And he's, he'd actually been on the Scylla show with Ringo two nights yes. before. But yes. Spike sort of says, oh, this is a nice song. Can I have it for a charity album compilation that I'm doing? Exactly. And that's where exactly. it ends up initially. Yes, so it, it finally, eventually, in January night, doesn't get released until uh, nineteen sixty. Right, the end of sixty nine, isn't it? Yeah, so it's the um, uh, January nineteen sixty nine. They took a mo- the mono mix, yeah, from from February sixty eight, and they added some effects, some birds flapping, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, and um, then it was done. It was remixed by Jeff Emmerich in uh, uh, October sixty nine as a stereo mix as well so there's a lot kind of going on yeah um but that album doesn't come out until december 1969 yeah so they 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 agree and they remix it in january 69 but it takes an almost another 12 months before it uh it, it comes out it is interesting we get we get used to the notion of charity albums these days and charity singles and charity records that must have been one of the first that it has a lead-off single from the beatles but it's an odd motley crew collection of people who were on that uh, charity album nobody of the caliber of the Beatles really no no I mean it must have been I I, I don't know what the chart performance uh, of yeah. that album was or how, how much money it raised it's 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 just a sort of little footnote it's, yeah oh yeah that that was first appearing on there but if you, it, it's it's odd to think that all the way through uh, the 1970s yeah uh, most of the 80s that version was just not it was lost was lost yeah, it was yeah. not available yeah it only appears uh, then at the end of the the 80s on past masters and again that's the first version i knew so that's the um that's uh, that's a great version then the exact same recording gets turned into the let it be version it just gets slowed yes. down and orchestrated yeah. and then there's the same master again is the let it be naked version just without the, so it's the same core recording even though it sounds different it's yes. just slowed up cleaned yeah. put an yeah. orchestra on uh, and then there's Two different alternate takes, one version on Anthology 2, which is actually probably the best one, and I, I, I the White would, Album would, version. It, yeah, the Anthology 2 one, I think, is the uh, is is my favourite version. I yeah, that, that's my go-to across the universe. And then another version, yet again, uh, got stuck on to the end of uh, the White Album uh, reissue in 2018. So it, there's obviously a decision made around this time that, you know, uh, whatever is going on with Across the Universe, it's not going on the single either on the A-side or B-side and uh, it kind of gets shelved. And then they take Friday the 9th of February off. They were due to do a session on Saturday the 10th of February, but they've already got an A and a B side in the bag, so they call it off, which is a pity. It would have been great if they'd managed to squeeze in something else, but they have to... They need to step their game up, their work (laughs) ethic. They're just so lazy. But they have to... They probably would have cancelled the session on Sunday the 11th, only for the fact that a film crew was turning up yeah, and I this is one of my favorite Beatles stories that a film crew turns up to film the Beatles miming to Lady Madonna for a single. So it's amazing that eight days after walking into a studio to record this song, they're filming a video because it's the Daned single. Um, but then instead of recording a video because they're the Beatles, they recorded brand new song from scratch. Yeah, and that song oh, is oh, Hey Bulldog. Hey Bulldog, which. Hey Bulldog is really interesting because it's sort of become this hugely popular song in the last, to me, in the last 10, 15 years, it's really popped up on the Beatle radar an awful lot more than it did in the 80s or 90s. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I I, I have a very clear memory of buying the uh, Yellow Submarine soundtrack and just being bitterly disappointed by the fact that the second side was just instrumental music i should say this is when i this is when i was about 14 or 15 um but then you suddenly hey bulldog and you think this is this is one of the best songs they ever uh uh, recorded i just love this song and again it's it's always described or has been described oh little known or it's a sort of 
tucked away, but it's it it is amazing that it has now become so popular. Yeah, it it's it's yeah it's it's like obviously it's a great song. It you know it 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 almost you you wonder if it had been produced eight days earlier, could it have been a side material? Yes, I mean I that, that is it is it a lost single? I think it if, possibly if, is a lost single, or certainly Lady Madonna Hey Bulldog is the lost double A side single. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would I mean, have been maybe. Fantastic. maybe Maybe it was. I wondered by Sunday the eleventh had they decided the inner light was going to be the B side, or would this have been too similar, sort of piano based driving? Well, I think that's why they would have gone well together because yeah. what we were saying earlier on is that Lady Madonna is this kind of end of studio trickery. Hey, Bulldog is the John take on that. It's like, oh, okay, you just yes. want a rock song recorded well yeah. that's catchy and makes you want to dance. Here it is, and this again, is it. that's that's interesting because. Is this is John sort of, you know, we've had a couple of days of him struggling and 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 not being able to get across yeah. the universe and not being able to get that kind of hippie trippy vibe that he's looking for to go with these lyrics. Yep. And then, is this, as you say, a case of him just going, "Fine, that's it," and he comes up with that piano riff on yeah. the spot in the studio. So he he comes in with the sort of demo that he's been working on for a while. Well, yeah. You, they had. They, 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 I mean, I don't know at what point somebody said let's record a song, but they they pull out this "you can talk to me" refrain that he's had about two or three yeah. years in his in his songwriting back pocket. Yeah. And between John and Paul, they just get this song knocked up together. John does the piano, you know. Paul is, is that, it up. Is that the piano you played in in studio? Is that uh, the two? one I played? Uh, I think it is. It probably is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The one I there you go. Um, so, um, uh, just, just just to remind everyone that you uh, got to play. But the I piano. did that. It, it, it is it is extraordinarily <laughs> amazing how fast <laughs> that song gets produced, and they're being filmed while doing it. Yes. And the film does get edited into a Lady Madonna clip, um, but obviously at no point in the Lady Madonna clip, and I'm assuming a lot of people listening here have seen it. Do you see them miming Lady Madonna? They are recording no. "Hey no. Bulldog." And uh, let's have an argument about who's playing the solo on Hey Bulldog. It's George. You think it's George? You think it's Paul? I think it's I think it's Paul because it sounds like Paul's you know taxman kind of heavy, you know agitated it's, solo. It's uh, George's Gibson SG oh, standard guitar. George on his SG. Okay. Uh, well, well, that, certainly it's his guitar. I think it. I, I think the concession is because if you look at the uh, look at the clip. That guitar, yeah. and he he's got that guitar. He that does, that is he? the guitar. What what I would say is it it it's a little bit uh, reminds me a little bit of Clapton. In 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 what Clapton was doing with Cream, oh, right, that, yeah. that that kind of tone, and uh, I'm I'm just um, uh, as I'm I'm trying to find a note, but I'm pretty certain that uh, Jeff Emmerich in his book, right, uh, which I do not like. <laughs> I, 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 I'll take this. Yeah, I'm going to quote this. I'm going to quote this. Um, Paul's bass line was probably the most inventive of any he'd done since Pepper, and it was really well played. Okay. Harrison Harrison's solo was sparkling too. And then, of course, he can't help himself. One of the few times that he nailed it right away. Oh, dear. That's not uh, good. Okay. His, okay, his, so. amp, his amp was turned up really loud, and he used one of his new fuzz boxes, which made his guitar absolutely scream. So I I, I I think it's a screaming solo. I think it's a great solo, yeah. and it, but it does remind me of the. I know we uh, talked about the yeah, uh, good yeah. morning, good morning solo as well, yes. which is cut yes. from the same cloth. Um, but what's interesting is again, and it probably serves the afterlife of Hey Bulldog is that it it starts to get its modern day fame when the Yellow Submarine song track comes out in nineteen ninety nine ninety eight. And what they, it's it's quite clever. They they find in the summer of 99, they find the rushes or the footage of the Lady Madonna video. And through the appliance of science, they go back and recut this. And it's still a great video. They, they recut a Hey Bulldog video. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's a great thing. It's brilliantly done. It's brilliantly done. And uh, amazing that they were able to, uh, to, yeah. to, to recut it. Um, and it does feed into my thing of, you know, we, we have so little footage of the Beatles in 68. You know, we have the, you know, the Yellow Submarine clip. We have this um, Lady Madonna, Hey Bulldog clip. Uh, yeah. And we have the David Frost clips where they're doing Hey Jude Revolution. 
yeah. you know, if only they had filmed the White Album instead of filming Let It Be, that'd be that'd be much more interesting. Well, it's interesting that they that you know I was thinking that uh, as as you were saying, you know, they were making this up on the spot and they were being filmed. I mean, you compare that with with exactly twelve months further yeah, on, and they can't do being, anything. They're being filmed and they they can barely play. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, they're they're, they're they seem so rusty. Yeah. Um. But uh, supposedly there are three different versions of that Hey Bulldog clip. Oh yeah. You, you mentioned with what are the what are they? Uh. Well, there's little bits. Uh starts with Ringo on drums and at the very end Paul picks up his yeah. coat and leaves which is from his step inside love session oh, Silla Black, Silla Black. Right. Um, there's another clip that features George for some reason eating uh, baked beans and uh, <laughs> then there's the the, the edit uh, for anthology which also contains some of the Hey Jude session oh, right. but can I also just say there are there are also five officially released versions of Hey Bulldog um, you've got the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, uh, which is a, a stereo version, and then a fold-down mono mix. It's not a separate mono mix, right? Then, but they use a different unreleased mono mix in the Mono Masters compilation. So that's where you would first have heard it, maybe. Uh, yeah, or I think I've heard it on the Yellow Submarine album, probably. Yeah. Uh, then there's a new mix, new stereo mix, yeah, for the Yellow Submarine song track in 1999. And then a new stereo and 5.1 surround mix for the one, oh, for uh, one. DVD Blu-ray. So, uh, so suddenly this, this obscure song, uh, Tucked Away, suddenly ends up with five official... There's, a, uh, there's, a, there's probably a 5.1 mix on the Ellis Submarine DVD, isn't there? From 19... Uh, yes, as part of the... There would be, yeah. Yeah, there'd yeah, be one there yeah. as well. Mixes, mixes all over the place. Yeah. So, Hey Bulldog. I'm sure everyone listening loves Hey Bulldog. So... It is interesting because that's the the eleventh of February, nineteen sixty eight, and you know it's five days later on the fifteenth of February, Thursday the fifteenth of February, that John and George head off to to Rishikesh. So in the first few weeks of those that year, they they've kind of laid down a template that then sort of disappears. They've um, you know they they've shown that they are tight, fully functional, yep. Fab Four still turning out the goods when they need to, to turn out the goods. And whatever happens in Rishikesh, it, it's different for the rest of the year, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think it, it uh, you know, this this is, I think, as you said at the beginning, it's a little sort of bubble of time. Yeah. It sits, sits between the, the end of the psychedelic uh, uh, material that they're turning out. And it's a sort of half step towards the grown up, uh, material that's coming out in 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 uh, at the end of the year in the White Album. So here's here's the million dollar question: Did going to Rishikesh kind of ruin everything? Mm, good question. Um, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there. Yeah, it's well, it, it, I suppose it, it, is is it the fact that they simply came up with so much material? Yeah part of the fact i mean i think if you look at what was happening uh at the very end of 1967 and the beginning of 1968 in terms of what their contemporaries what their peer group were doing so mm-hmm. you have uh dylan yeah at, uh dylan has uh released john wesley harding right at the end of 67 it's 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 you know uh number one album in in the uk at the beginning of 68 the stones are coming back with jumping jack flash they're yeah. they're re- retreating from satanic yeah. majesties i think everyone those, those kind of rock royalty are moving in that simplified direction yeah. they then churn out 30 songs they have yes. 30 songs to record more than 30 songs to record um and it's just Perhaps it's the sheer volume that sends them off into different studios at different times, yeah, working on different things. Um, you know, if they'd come back with from Rishikesh with a dozen songs. Well, you know, uh, Rishikesh and the White Album are discussions for another day, you know. Um, but I certainly think we're at that point in 68 where, you know, there's this movement that music is for music's sake, you know. And yeah. as you say, move away from psychedelia. And that's kind of reflected all around. And when the, the cards were down, the Beatles delivered a bunch of great songs in 68 but there's that little window at the start of 68 and you sometimes wonder if there was a little bit of uh fab four jollity sprinkled throughout the rest of the year as much um you know would we have been left in a, in a different place that's our look at the start of 1968 what do you think people get in touch with us in all the usual places uh we are on 
um, uh, Twitter at Beatles Pod. Uh, if you go look for the Nothing Is Real Facebook group, uh, Stephen will let you in and join us, and um, you can have a think about that start of 1968. We might put the all the different versions of across the universe and Lady Madonna that we can find and put up a playlist for uh, that early 1968 period uh, and see what you think. Uh, but for now, uh, thanks for listening. This has been Nothing Is Real. My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we'll see you the next time out. Thanks, Ian. This podcast is powered by Acast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad free content bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.